This time, we're concluding our look into the Planet of the Apes reboot trilogy with war. And along the way, we ask, is this a war film or a sci-fi film? Is this more like Heart of Darkness or Bridge on the River Kwai? And finally, what's the future of this franchise? We are the beginning and the podcast. This is Force Fed Sci-Fi. All right, welcome back, guys. We are completing our trilogy, Planet of the Apes, with one of your great co-hosts, Sean Michael Culp. And along with me on this wonderful journey is my friend and co-host. I am the Colonel, Chris Rupp. Oh, you're going with the Colonel, huh? <laughs> nice. You know, we were talking off air just before we started recording and say there's just something so charismatic and compelling about Woody Harrelson as a military villain in this movie. I don't know what it is, but it just <laughs> works in spades here. It does. It really does. He, From the moment he steps on screen covered in the uh, camouflage, you just know, like, this guy's a badass. He's He's fantastic. Oh yeah, absolutely! Like it's it's very rare when you see a character, uh, an actor, fully envelop themselves in their character. I just I made this comparison recently when I was talking about the True Grit remake and Jeff Bridges, and you never once doubt in that movie that Jeff Bridges is Rooster Cogburn. And same thing here in War for the Planet of the Apes. You never doubt that Woody Harrelson is Colonel Wesley McCullough. It is fantastic. No, you don't. He's he's so good. And I like how he's so physically imposing in this film. He just, you look at him, he doesn't razzle-dazzle you with crazy guns or like the six-pack or this dude that's going to be like punching people to death. It's literally all persona. It is charisma, baby. This guy oozes it, and that's why he's so freaking good at it. (laughs) Before we get too far into the weeds of our uh, fanboying over Woody Harrelson, so Caesar... And his apes. They're, this is after the events of Dawn of the Planet of the Apes have occurred. They they come into a conflict with this rogue group of soldiers that are led by Woody Harrelson and the Colonel. And so, in after you know after a brutal attack in their home, Caesar is forced to kind of go on this journey of revenge and and to just make himself feel whole. But this journey kind of brings the Colonel and Caesar in a head-to-head conflict that it just seems like the ball was rolling uh, on this right away as soon as Caesar unleashed that virus. This has been a long time coming for both Caesar and the Colonel. It all comes head-to-head here in war in the epic conclusion of the Planet of the Apes reboot trilogy. Very nice. I think that you really painted that picture for our listeners there. And it was a, uh, it is a journey for him caesar this is the culmination of his life so before we get into that obviously caesar andy circus returns for the third and final film he did awesome in it right you said woody harrelson he returned or he he stars in this one as our villain the uh antagonist as the colonel who else shows up in here We've also got I was really surprised when this guy came up but we've got Steve Zahn great comedic actor showing up to play bad ape and I have to, like yes Steve Zahn is incredible in this movie I never knew that he had this type of performance in him 
I don't think anyone did because Steve Zahn, like, it's not like, you know, we're not like poo-pooing on his career, but he's just like, as an actor, he was, I don't know, he's just not looked at like the dramatic type. You just don't look at him for crazy range, you know, not to, once again, to poo-poo on him. He does, he does what he does very well as a comedic actor, but for this, it kind of, it threw me as well. Once like Bad Ape showed up, I'm like, who the hell is that? This guy's great. He was so good. I mean, I'm looking at his filmography right now. I mean, I'm, I'm seeing, you know, credits that include That Thing You Do, You've Got Mail, Stuart Little, uh, Riding Cars <laughs> With Boys. And then in that in that weird period in the mid-2000s, he did Sahara, Rescue Dawn, mm-hmm. and then kind of dropped off for a little bit. I mean, he was in the Diary of a Wimpy Kid movies. And then, like, 2016, 2017 is where he's, you know, he's back into like the main spotlight because he did Captain Fantastic with Viggo Mortensen the year before and then now he's in War for the Planet of the Apes and everybody just fawned over his performance it it was amazing to see and uh, really I mean again like you were saying we are not poo-pooing at all Steve Zahn he's he's great he's talented but it just it's we didn't know that he had this sort of multifaceted talent to him no I I didn't like I always I I always enjoyed him. I saw uh, Sahara when I was like in the 2000s. My younger brother watched the hell out of that movie one summer. I think he watched it like a hundred times, multiple times a day. So I loved him in Sahara. And then actually I did see, uh, I was one of the few that watched Rescue Dawn. And I enjoyed that film as well. But after that, I really didn't see him in many things. And so I, I... I hope like this for his career adds a little bit more zest because he's a hell of an actor. If you give him the right role and he can work with it because yeah, him and this was incredible. And obviously Captain Fantastic is a great movie. I actually would recommend that if you want something good, a nice little feel good film. Yeah, I know that's free to stream on Netflix. So if you've got a free night, definitely check out Captain Fantastic. <laughs> but along with Steve Zahn, who else? Uh, Toby Cabell is back to uh, portray Koba in several flashback sequences that really kind of shake Caesar to his core. Which, uh, which there was only two instances in the movie where those happen, but I think they're played to to great effect to kind of remind Caesar of the morality and of what he is doing because he's Koba was kind of the antithesis of Caesar. And Caesar is going on this journey of revenge, and by doing so, he's really kind of violating the core tenets of his life of ape together strong and ape not kill ape. And Koba is there to remind him of his of his shortcomings of that. Yeah, Koba really does provide that devil on his shoulder that it and it's pretty fantastic. I love how it's Koba seems to appear when Caesar is either experiencing like great depression, anxiety, or really close to death. And the way that they portrayed Koba in this movie, how he comes back to taunt Caesar. And as even at the end where he's just like, just let go, you know, come with me. I mean, it just, I'm getting goosebumps now. I mean, the actor that came back did a fantastic job. I mean, they just, I, I, it was unexpected for me seeing Koba return. And I'm glad he did for those brief moments because it really just plays to Caesar and who he is and his guilt and how much he just wants to save the apes and save his family. And, ah, oh, it's just it, great character building, great 
as you put it, Koba is the antithesis of Caesar. So him still haunting him even after his death, just fantastic. Well, I mean, that's true of every great villain and hero dichotomy. You, I mean, it doesn't take much of a push to make the hero become the villain. I mean, we see it all the time and just about every Batman story that comes out, it it wouldn't take much to, yeah. to make Bruce Wayne become a Joker-type villain. And, I mean, heaven help Gotham if he ever decided to just say, nope, I'm a bad guy now, everybody's dying. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's so close, but it's those morals that keeps him in it. And I think very much like Caesar, I guess, I think Caesar, though, is a little bit better off than Batman. He doesn't hide. But maybe to Caesar's uh, downfall, he just he he is a kind individual. He just has so much. I feel like he just he, that's that's one of the reasons why so many of his problems appear because it's it's. I think I texted you that where it's like it seems like with Caesar, every time he helps the humans and he lets them go, they always come back and bite him in the ass and do something to screw him over. Well, I mean, he doesn't have a full reason to kind of buy into that. And it was helpful in Dawn when he, you know, let Malcolm's group back in to repair the dam. And then in this case, he lets Preacher go after that opening battle. I mean, Preacher, I mean, is pretty much like the only other human in the film that gets substantial screen time that's not Woody Harrelson. And he's played by Gabriel uh, Chavarria. And I'm, I'm just fascinated that he chose a crossbow as his weapon. I know. Like, like, what's who do you go to in the army to say, no, I don't want the rifle that everybody else got. I want a crossbow because I want to be difficult. Well, it's unique. It's badass. It served as a purpose, and we're talking about it, right? We're talking about him. Because if, if he just had a gun or something, it wouldn't have been, I don't think, as memorable as the crossbow. It was a very unique character choice, and we'll talk about the crossbow a little bit because it ended up serving as uh, Caesar's demise. Well, yeah, and I was mistaken when I said Preacher got more screen time because there's also uh, a human that tags along with uh, with Maurice and Caesar and Luca for majority of the film there, and that's Nova, the, the little girl who becomes mute, played uh, amazingly by uh, Mia Miller. I hope I'm saying her name right, but she, she and Maurice formed this this tender attachment uh, during the course of the movie. And it's just brilliant to watch the, the, the motion capture actress interact with Mia Miller. It, it was great to watch. Yeah, she was great. Warms your heart with the little doll and everything. And she ends up assisting the apes, you know, they, they didn't have to save her, but they took compassion on her and she ended up tagging along and being just such a great, asset to the group though it was weird right because it's like especially at the end of the film it's like so she's just gonna live with the apes now <laughs> yeah i mean it probably is gonna set up like a future film or some sort of lore down the line if there is another film i mean because obviously tarzan <laughs> it's there's has to be something there <laughs> i mean i mean and i think nova is even a callback to uh the original film or one of the one of the human characters is named Nova. I mean, it, it, it's been a minute since I've seen the original, but I think that's sort of the tie-in they were going with here. Okay, okay. Yeah, I've never seen them, so. I, <laughs> or maybe, I, I've only seen that infamous scene with, like, the Statue of Liberty head where they're like, <laughs> You blew it up! 
Yes, yes. Isn't that Charlton Heston too? That's Charlton Heston at his most unhinged finest, I would say, because there's so many <laughs> scenes in that movie where he just yells or it just says something gruff and it's like okay yeah you're doing this the only way you know how like <laughs> classic i love it i love it and then uh rounding out the cast i guess is uh rocket is like terry notary yeah i guess he served as sort of like the uh the the movement coach for the other actors in the performance capture suits and judy greer is Cornelia? I don't know if you said Judy Greer already. No, haven't, <laughs> but uh, she's awesome. She's funny. She's on one of my favorite animated shows, Archer. She's hysterical on it. Really? Who does she play in Archer? Uh, she's Cheryl, the uh, the crazy secretary. Oh, my God. Yes. Yes. I did not know that. I have to rewatch that show. It's been <laughs> a hot minute. But that that brings even more reason to watch it. Kudos to Archer if you want a fun TV show. Yeah, FX just absolutely crushing it on the comedies because uh, they've also got what we do in the shadows back, which I'm I'm very happy about that. <laughs> uh, we've also got Karen uh, Conaval who does the motion capture for Maurice, and then rounding it out, we got Michael Adam Thwaite as Luca, the the big uh, uh, Westland gorilla that goes with Caesar there, but is ultimately killed. And then we've got Ty Olson as Red, the uh, who the humans derogatory refer to as the donkey, like the main kind of traitor ape amongst the the human battalion there. Which is, uh, to me, that's nuts, I guess, if you wanted to talk about that a little bit. Because the film kind of starts off with the humans assaulting the apes. They're trying to find them. And you see, like, you know, they're squaring up in their sights. They see some apes in the trees. But then you see, like, them get tapped by Red and... He's a gorilla, you know, and you're like, what the hell? Why Why is he helping the humans? And that's where they start calling them donkeys. That's curious that the apes aligned with the colonel. To me, that was nuts. I didn't, that was very unexpected. I don't know. How'd you feel about that? I mean, it, it kind of goes against everything that Koba was trying to warn everybody about. I mean, he was saying like, you know, the humans aren't supposed to be trusted. We're, we're the smarter, stronger species we should wipe them out and i mean the apes are smart so i have a very hard i have a very hard time believing that they would all just align themselves or at least a good faction of them would align themselves with the colonel to wipe out their fellow apes it's just it's boggling to me i wouldn't i mean granted it's also two years after the events of the first movie so there could have been some other splintering that happened you know after caesar regained control of his group but it's just again I have such a hard time believing that these apes who have spent their majority of their lives avoiding human contact align themselves with Koba to eradicate humans now find themselves aligned and insulted and are basically no better than pack animals for the humans. I know it's like maybe these were the apes that didn't care for Caesar's leadership because, you know, as we talked about in Dawn, uh, Caesar was pretty much questioned every day with every decision he made. You know, he had his lawyer, loyal supporters and the people that aligned with Koba. Though I do feel it intriguing, as you said, that um, 
they joined the humans because Koba literally would roll over in his grave if he saw them because he hated the humans. But I think for story-wise purposes, it just made more sense for them to join the humans as opposed to have like Caesar's group, apes, and then humans, and then the army, like having like a big mate. I think that would have just been too much, uh, too many characters. So maybe, you know, they, they're willing to roll over and join the humans, you know, as long as they could be rid of Caesar. I don't know what, though, the uh, colonel did, you know, the, to get him into it, invested. Like, what could he offer them? That's, like, the curious part to me. There's nothing he could have offered, and even Caesar has that great interaction with Red by saying, do you really think that the colonel is just going to let you live if he wins? I mean, and that's exactly what was going to happen. If, if the colonel was victorious in defeating the army that was coming to kill him, I mean, the first thing he would have done was killed every single ape in Caesar's group and then would have turned around and killed the donkeys that were under his command. That's a, that's exactly what would have happened. I I agree with you <laughs> because it just the colonel didn't seem like the type of guy that messed around like that. He was very business and, you know, he even killed his son. And I guess we could get into that. Um, so in this movie, the virus mutates. And as we find out from the colonel, the virus mutates as with humans where it makes them mute. And essentially, as he says, it makes them more go back, harken back to their primitive ways as a species. So the colonel ends up killing his son because uh, the virus mutated with him. And I think as we could see that with the colonel as he's willing to go that far, I believe that he would have murdered the apes as well. Which leads me to say, uh, what did you think of the Colonel? I mean, the Colonel definitely felt more like a cult leader than a military leader. Because we, mm-hmm. we don't learn his name. I mean, we, we see his last name, McCullough, on his shirt jacket, uh, on, his, on his jacket uh, patch there. But we, the entire movie, he's referred to as the Colonel. And the apes even call him Kerna, which almost gives him like this sort of mythical quality to him like even like the the traitor apes hold him in such high esteem that he's almost like you know some sort of demon that's supposed to be appeased and in those moments where he where the colonel comes out of his shack and is looking down on his troops and shaving his head like i got just heavy jim jones jonestown people's temple vibes from seeing him walk out shaving his head and addressing his troops i mean defacing the american flag calling himself the alpha and omega this is this is a cult it's not a military battalion this is a straight up death cult is what it is that's that's see that's what i felt too because when i read the synopsis you know the army i thought that you know he was the army leader and initially, you're, it's like, okay, okay, you know, it's, you know, the world has been ravaged by this virus, the likelihood of, like, the armed forces having some sort of uh, cohesion, sure. But once that scene appeared, I was like, this isn't, this isn't the military. <laughs> this is definitely a maniac, a cult leader, a dictator. This is a maniac. He, he abides by no one, which then once we see the army, the real army actually attacking the Omega group, then you're like, oh, okay, this guy is just, he, he went rogue. Freaking Colonel gone rogue. He wants to take out those apes. I think we learned that pretty quick when, he, when we come across that, that group of dead soldiers that the Colonel 
all shot because they got sick. I mean, it's it would it would yeah. basically be be what a cult leader did. Like you question my authority, or you no longer believe, you can no longer hang with the group. Well, then you're excommunicated. Or if they're a truly awful person, they'll just kill them. Like it's <laughs> no different than what like you know some cults have done. You know, killing people. Yeah, yeah. He just he it's his rules, high his way or nobody's way. <laughs> and I think that's what makes the Colonel and uh, Woody Al- Woody Harrelson's portrayal of him. So charismatic, but also like dangerous in a way. Um, very terrifying because you know, as opposed to Gary Oldman, who it seems like his character as the quote unquote villain just wanted to like protect his family and humans. The Colonel is just like out for blood. Like he he's just like this egomaniac. I mean, he's he's crazy. Very, very different. It's very interesting to note that he wants to quote save humanity, but fails to recognize that he has very little humanity left in himself. Like he's Yeah. He's killed his own son and he's willing to he's gone rogue from the army and he's willing to sacrifice all of his soldiers to quote unquote, save humanity. So like, what is there left in himself to save at this point? I mean, it's, I mean, he's, he's essentially just what's no better on than a death march towards his own destruction. Oh yeah. And you can see like when Caesar approaches the uh, outlook after he meets bad ape and bad ape takes, takes them to the post where they're quarantined at. I mean, you see apes strung up. I mean, he tortures these people. He literally makes them build this bridge, which I don't know about you, but I was getting heavy, heavy bridge over river Kwai vibes. Like (laughs) the apes are building the bridge or the bridge, building the wall for the group. And then the way he treats Caesar, like having him strung up and, you know, definitely I'm like, is, is this... Is Caesar supposed to be Eleganus? Like, what's going on here? Are they borrowing? How did you feel? Yes, that is exactly what's happening. Caesar is Eleganus, and then Bad Ape is William Holden's character. That is exactly what is happening in this movie. And like, if you would have to be just, uh, uh, you'd have to be un- uneducated in cinema to not see the parallels that exist in this movie, because there are so many to list. But I mean, this is done in a way that's. That doesn't feel like it's ripping them off, though. I mean, if you're a savvy film goer, yes, you're going to recognize the Great Escape influences, the Bridge on the River Kwai influences, the Apocalypse Now influences. But it doesn't feel like it's directly ripping those movies off, though. No, 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 no. You, it, like you said, you only would pick it up if you've seen those films. Definitely the Apocalypse Now. I felt that, especially with the face paint. <laughs> I, I felt that just like how the colonel was just so crazy the great escape of course with the tunnel i mean it's just it was great little callbacks but as you said it was it, it was respectful it wasn't disrespectful and it wasn't like they were stealing in a way and redoing it they just injected parts to enhance the story and just borrowed I mean, it's it's so much different than a film we recently talked about, Black Widow, where it felt like that that film was directly ripping off other films, whereas this one, no. I mean, yes, you can certainly see the influences, but I mean, no, I wouldn't would not call War for the Planet of the Apes a ripoff of any any movie that's come before it. Yes. Yes. The only way that it would rip off is if Woody Harrelson just started being like, 
Ah, oh, I need to get rid of the apes. Like he just started Marlo Brandoing hard. You just see him show up. He did gain weight. Yes, he did gain weight for the role, but not as bad as uh, Brando. Or if the apes all started whistling the Great Escape theme, then, you know, like, oh, okay, we see what you did there. Is this a spoof? What, what is going on here? <laughs> exactly. But I think that's an appropriate time to ask, like, you know, we brought up a lot of great war films, Bridge on the River Kwai, Apocalypse Now, The Great Escape. And this is a question that's kind of come up before on the show, but is this a science fiction film or is this a war film? I mean, the war is directly in the, in the title, but does that make this a war movie? So I would say it is more of a war film than a sci-fi film. But because of the world that it is in, you know, talking apes, uh, there is a virus that is mutating that's, you know, given the apes the ability to reach this intellect. It's still a very sci-fi film. But there is, I think it's a combo of both because their war that they do, the depiction, is really well done. But it's not as... Like a Saving Private Ryan. It works. What do you think? I mean, I I think the war is more of a backdrop to this movie than, say, something like Saving Private Ryan. I think we knew that a war was going to happen after watching Dawn and seeing that great close-in shot of Caesar's eyes and know that a fight is coming. And I think if a move, if this sequel had come out without any sort of battle scenes or any sort of grand conclusion to the war and i think a lot of people would have been disappointed and i think the filmmakers made a wise choice in showing that yes a war is here but this is kind of like the tail end of the war like we're we it's not essential to see the minor battles or skirmishes that have led up to this point it's important to see like how this war ends and what the future looks like for these apes. Similar to what we saw at the end of Dawn. Like we see the end of the prosperity for the apes and we see the beginning of the of the end for the humans. So I think that these movies really kind of capture like both um, the end of one era and the start of another. And I think that's what they were trying to go for with war here. And I think they hit it on the head. Because it really does feel like that transitional piece where it almost feels like, to me, the apes are tired of the war and they're trying to escape and move on with their lives. Like Caesar, it seems like to me that he's exhausted of it because they talk at the beginning of the film, like trying to get the, you know, his son comes back, blue eyes, found a place, you know, that they can uh, set up shop there across the desert. And I think... To me, that's why this film, it is so, it's in a warlike environment, but you don't, it's not like they, you don't see a lot of it though. It's more of a psychological and like a character, a hero's journey, if anything. It's because there's, you know, some violence at the beginning and then at the end. But the majority of the film is just these guys on their journey to go save the apes they get caught, you know, and having his friends come and bail him out. I mean, it's 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 interesting. It does feel like it's at the end. Like we we missed most of the warring. Now it's just the tail end, and we have this crazy lunatic 
cult leader dictator and then these apes they're just like we want to get the hell out of here before all you know he's blown away like general custard well and it's also we see that the war becomes personal for caesar i mean they've been fighting for two years and i mean nothing really has happened to caesar i mean his his council for lack of a better word, is still intact. I mean, Maurice is still alive. So is Rocket. There's been a few other additions to it since the end of Dawn. But, like, his son is still alive. Blue Eyes is still alive. Cornelius, his other son, is you know becoming a young ape. His wife is still alive. And then finally here in war, like, the battle comes home with the colonel killing Blue Eyes and Cornelia. And from there, that's when this whole... Heart of Darkness, Apocalypse Now, Revenge Story kicks off for Caesar. He wants to, he's not looking to end the war. He's just looking to satisfy himself and kill the colonel, which, I mean, there's that old Chinese proverb. You should never, when starting on a journey of revenge, you should first dig two graves. And that's exactly what happens here. We have the colonel dying and Caesar dying at the end of the film. And the death of the colonel, I don't know. That was such an emotional, very, very, very intense scene. I didn't know which way it was going to go because the colonel ends up, spoilers, I guess, he ends up getting the virus, uh, mutates from the doll, Nova's doll. He gets it, and then you Caesar stumbles upon the colonel laying in his bed, blood around his mouth, and he can't talk. He's mute. He just wants to, like, shoot himself, and he wants Caesar to do it. He, he, you know, and Caesar's very breathing, very stressed. He really wants to freaking kill this guy because this guy took everything from him. He took everything from him, his wife and his son. And he doesn't, he doesn't, the colonel kills himself. How did you think about that suicide? I mean, at first I thought it was Caesar's revenge being stolen from him by the virus. I mean, and it's, it's, it's the colonel real, you know, realizing that he's now no better than an ape and it's that look of that look that he was talking about when he killed his son of you know recognition and anger and regret and now it's played out on the colonel and i think it's more appropriate that the colonel succumb to the thing that he feared the most rather than killing rather than having caesar kill him because if caesar killed him it would have just proved every proved every bias that the colonel had you know he would he thought that these apes these creatures were were unintelligent they weren't capable of anything they were just good for work and and mindless and it would have just confirmed everything every bad thought the colonel had about him and and if caesar had killed him on the other side of that coin he finally his redemption would have fallen short and he would know he would no longer be the the great ethical, you know, peace-seeking leader that we've come to know and love over the course of these films. And, I mean, in in hindsight, there's there's probably a universe where the Colonel could have coexisted with Caesar's apes. But it was also, but he allowed his fear and his arrogance to guide his decisions and everything he tried to do to destroy the apes ultimately just led to his destruction. It did, and it shows him with his suicide how much of a coward he actually was, you know? Because Caesar, I think it shows him with that compassion. He basically takes compassion on him, and he doesn't do it. And it shows how great, as you said, a leader he was. And 
I agree. I think that's why Caesar in this film, this trilogy, he's just such a great ethical human, like an ape, a leader, because he's just, that is what he has stood by with his morals. He, he never compromised who he was as a character, whereas the colonel did at some point. And he used his razzle-dazzle, his um, rule by force and his persona to make people bend to his will. But at the end of the day, the colonel ends up shooting himself alone, you know, in his bunker, you know, kind of like Hitler. And I think it just it just speaks to the character of both uh, beings. Well, ironic, too, that he's also destroyed by a doll. That's that happens to be carrying the virus, which is wonderful. That is the irony of it all. You know, you see this grandiose man who's got his stronghold, and it's this little thing that ends up taking him down. Yeah, I love it. I mean, you know, the parallels and the storytelling. It's uh, you know, it's perfect. That's why I really enjoy this film because it didn't have like. Obviously, the second film, it had like the big climactic battle between Koba and uh, Caesar. But this film didn't need that. And it wouldn't have been good if it had it. So that's why I loved it that the virus ends up taking the colonel. As opposed to like, you know, some fight between like Red and Caesar. You know, something crazy. It just wouldn't have made any sense. And it would have just been a waste of our time. I mean, yeah, we definitely do get that heartbreaking moment where Red decides that he is with Caesar and, you know, kills Preacher with that grenade launcher. But then Red, by doing so, I mean, he's sacrificing himself to save Caesar so Caesar can blow up the the wall and the army could destroy everything. But by doing so, I mean, it, it also, you know, causes this avalanche to you know, fall down on the base and bury all the humans and basically essentially like erasing humanity in in a very, in a very poetic kind of way. Just, nope, you're now st- stuck under, you know, feet of snow and nobody's ever going to find you. You're, you're wiped off the earth now. Yeah. The last little few humans left are pretty much done. It's wonderful. It really is wonderful. I mean, this film 2028 seems like a pretty uh, dark place. I mean, yeah, we're now only seven years remo- away from that, and it, it, this this movie definitely seemed like a chilling prediction for our future. I mean, you 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 get a sense of everything like that's happening now in this film. You have this deep tribalism, this attitude of I'm right, everyone else is wrong, everybody you know adopting this sort of this weird savior complex, the misinformation. It's led all to the degradation of this world that we're seeing. And it's very like you definitely point out the parallels to modern times when watching a movie like this. And it's just it's I don't want to say it's sad to see, but it's it's angering to see it, too. Like if, if you adopt it from the perspective of thing, this could have been avoided. This world didn't have to be like it is. We didn't have to be on the brink of destruction if we'd had just not given in to any of these horrible underlying influences. Well, I think it plays to the theme, probably, of whatever the director was going with these with this whole trilogy. Because it's it's crazy, but the whole trilogy starts with one ape and they end up being the protagonists. 
in this whole film and the humans are our, are essentially the villains in the entire trilogy um because and i found it interesting with war that there were really the first two they had a bunch and then this one there's only one lol human and it's a young mute girl <laughs> that's the uh nice one out of the you know out of all of us so i found that pretty intriguing but overall theme, I mean, this this trilogy is kind of dark. I mean, you know, it brightens up at the end once, you know, the apes reach paradise where they can, set, you know, set up camp and finally are free from the destruction that we cause them. But, I mean, overall, this whole trilogy is really dark and it's sad. I mean, Caesar ends up dying at the end due to preachers shooting him with the crossbow. I mean, it's really... It's it's a really dour dour bunch. What did you think? I mean, yeah, I mean you're you're definitely on the right track when you say that this trilogy is dark, but I think it does end on a hopeful note. But I mean, one hopeful note ending a trilogy, I mean, does not a theme for this trilogy make. And to me, like I think the big theme of these films, going back to Rise, is fear. And you see fear guiding every single one of these impactful decisions. I mean, in, in Rise, it's it's Will's fear of losing his father. And also, he's I think he's ultimately was scared of Caesar's potential and just how different he could be and how smart he could be. In Dawn, it's, it's Dreyfus's fear of losing his community and just the fear that exists among the humans of, you know, are the apes going to come to kill us? Like, that... that ultimately leads to that climactic um, battle there and then here in war it's it's fear on both sides it's fear from the colonel of losing his humanity um, to this virus which ultimately he succumbs to and caesar's fear of the future i mean him going off on this journey of revenge and leaving his community is something that's based partly in revenge but also fear. It creates fear among his group, fear of the unknown, fear of fear of death that's now made certainly real by the fact that their leader, who they've come to depend on for over 10 years, is now going off to make himself feel better. Yeah, he does the most uncharacteristic thing that he's done in the entire trilogy. And he ends up dying because of it. Instead of just sticking with his group and pressing on, you know, in the end, it's a story. I mean, that's where that's what we get from it. And it shows, though, with because Caesar could have lived. But I think that's the point. They grow beyond him. And if the apes ever want to continue on, they will. They'll need to. You know, they can grow and become their own, have their own leaders. And I think that's like the ultimate sacrifice that you get with that yeah i mean caesar's death felt earned like i think i think there was going to be no satisfying conclusion to this trilogy that didn't include caesar's death because there had to be some sort of handoff to the next generation and i mean maurice and he had that very sweet tender moment where maurice promises that his legacy will live on his teachings will continue I mean, so there is hope for the future of this community and 
the coexistence of humans together in this community, I think is something that can be taken away from the ending. I mean, yes, is, is the film dark in tone? Yes, it absolutely is. But in a similar pattern that we saw in Dawn, it's filled with a lot of these tender moments. I mean, a lot of them seem to be focused on Maurice and Nova, but again, at the end there, you just see the, 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 the apes looking mournfully at Caesar and starting to howl, you know, at the loss of their of their great leader, their their pillar of hope and ethics and morality here in this world, and it's. I mean, I want I want to be hopeful that this community will continue living on, and. <laughs> <laughs> but you, but you never know. Like you never know what can happen with something like this. I mean. But it's. But yes, overall, yes, this film is dark, but we're left with a very sense of mournfulness yet hope for the future for for the rest of the apes yes i agree it's just it's he had such a tough life (laughs) that's it's crazy when you think of the start of this trilogy caesar was this young ape that was living with will and he had like everything you know and how he blossoms and just becomes this leader i mean it's just it's incredible the full circle of everything how how he grows beyond everything, creates his own life, has a family, all the loss and pain and hardships that he went through. I mean, he just seems so weathered and tired by the end of this film. It's really, that's why I, it was so sad <laughs> seeing him die, but it, like you said, it felt so earned. It felt it was just necessary. Like he needed to move on and like go and, so did the apes. It was wonderful. Wonderful ending. Well, and he didn't want to become what he feared he would be. He didn't want to be vengeful. He didn't want to be angry like Koba was. And and in death, he's able to let that go and be at peace, knowing his family is safe, his friends are safe, and that his legacy will live on. It's, <laughs> I mean... Yeah. Well, hopefully we'll get more films after this. It's something we'll talk about later, but it's, but yeah, it just, it just ends on a sorrowful yet hopeful note. And I think that's the only way that this series of films could have ended. As for, um, like for me, lens flares and like, I didn't really have any, uh, lens flare at all. Uh, Nothing really bothered me with this film. I didn't really have any like, um, yeah, anything like that. Did you? You know, I I have to agree with you. This is the rare film for me where I didn't have anything that like truly bothered me. And <laughs> like uh, I mean, I had a, a minor CGI quip in in Dawn and you know, a questionable decision by Brian Cox's character in the first movie, but like uh, here there's just like there's nothing I've got a problem with. This is this is a brilliant movie. Yeah, it really was. Any any red shirts? You know, there's one, and it happens in the blink of the uh, blink of an eye, and it's my choice of red shirt is Nova's guardian, and we don't know if this person was like her father or brother or somebody, but we find out that you know the colonel is like those who had children escaped and blah blah blah. And so, I mean, it's I think we can assume that it's her dad, but. We don't know if he was going to pull up his gun and start blasting away, but before he can even do that, Caesar just lowers that shotgun and just boom, just <laughs> turns his chest into Swiss cheese. Yeah, I, I guess, yeah, I can agree with that one. I took that as like his revenge 
all anger from his family. You know, he was just tired of humans. <laughs> He's like, screw you guys. You kill my freaking family. The next human I see, boom. <laughs> so I feel that. But yeah, he ends up murdering maybe her guardian. But eh. <laughs> it is what it is. <laughs> Uh, they made up for it by letting her tag along and bringing and adopting her as an ape. So it's all good. That's right. Come with us, small child, into gun f- <laughs> into battle. <laughs> yes, come with us to the most dangerous place we can possibly take you. <laughs> they are animals, after all. <laughs> uh, did you have any like uh, toxic fandom? Any yellow shirts or anything outside of a red? It, you know, I did have a bit of toxic fandom and i mean (laughs) it's so funny it's just this is somebody who like clearly just saw this and just was so upset they went to imdb so (laughs) this the the latest edition of this week in toxic fandom so chimpanzees cannot produce tears caesar's tears may be another morphological change granted by the drugs and the virus (laughs) so somebody just mansplaining how caesar's tears couldn't possibly work since he's a chimpanzee it's like dude it's a movie we just, the movie is co- the movie is called planet of the apes suspend some disbelief on your part and just accept the fact that yes the chimpanzees may cry in the movie i have a uh i have a weapons expert they said uh the colonel uses uh 1911 as his weapon of choice when caesar and another ape are brought before him he executes the ape and turns the gun on caesar the hammer on the firearm is in the forward position the 1911 has a single action trigger so the hammer would be cocked after firing unless manually set in a desired position so a gun expert ladies and gentlemen Oh my gosh, that's funny. I'm always fa- I'm always fascinated when gun experts like take to the internet and say this wasn't right. Blah blah blah. <laughs> I, I hey, they forgot what movie they were in. Thank you, <laughs> thank you so much for for the next movie that has a 1911. We'll make sure to fix it next time. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Uh, well, let's get into the legacy of war for the planet of the apes as well as uh the future for this trilogy so uh similar to the the success that dawn enjoyed this war was also well received by critics so it it currently holds a 94 on rotten tomatoes there's an 82 on metacritic and has a cinema score of a minus so high marks all around for the internet scores however the box office gross was a bit less compared to what Dawn took in. This took in $490 million, but this was also a very top-heavy year for blockbusters. Like, I I looked at the movies that came out, and just, like, in the top, in the bottom, in, like, in the top 10 of highest-grossing films on that year, there were films like Wonder Woman, Thor Ragnarok, Spider-Man Homecoming, and Star Wars The Last Jedi. So there were, this was a blockbuster-heavy year. So I think this was, it was going to be very difficult for War for the Planet of the Apes to kind of break into that group and have a seat at the popular kids' table. And uh, continuing along with the trend that we've talked about in past episodes, this was nominated for the Academy Award for Best Visual Effects, but lost that award to Blade Runner 2049. (laughs) It was also nominated for four Saturn Awards, for Best Sci-Fi Film, Best Director, Best Actor, and Best Special Effects. 
and it didn't win a single one of these awards again. They all went to different films that year. So just, I and this is something that, again, we talked about this off air. When you look at the films that have come out in the same year that these every single film in this trilogy has come out with, in 2014 specifically, you had Guardians of the Galaxy and you had Interstellar, two of probably the best science fiction films that have been made in the 21st century. And Dawn, that's no slight to Dawn. Dawn is still an amazing movie, but it just, it wasn't going to beat those movies. And same thing with war here. There were so many heavy blockbusters that came out this year. And this wasn't even the best sci-fi movie that came out in 2017. For my money, that was Blade Runner 2049. And again, no slight to war, but there's no way you're supplanting 2049 in any sort of awards competition. I know. It, unfortunately, it was just a year. This whole trilogy, just they released them, but unfortunately, they're great films, but they came out with even better films. So it's, it's, it's tough. It's a really tough uh, awards race. But who knows? Maybe in like 10 years, people will look back at the trilogy and be like, top notch, top notch. I mean, but virtually there's been no concrete announcements for a sequel to this movie. A lot of people thought that like this would be the end of the trilogy. But of course, you know, since this made money, people want to continue a good thing. And after Disney bought 20th Century Fox, they did announce that they're going to make more Planet of the Apes films. So <laughs> it's Disney. They, they did the same thing with Aliens. Uh, they did the same thing with Indiana Jones. So, I mean, I think it it might be a safe assumption that we will get another Planet of the Apes film, but I just don't know if that's ever going to happen at this point because the there is a director that's currently attached right now, a fellow by the name of Wes Ball, and he's done a couple of films. It looks like he did the, the Maze Runner series of films um, in... He is confirmed to be a writer and director for the next Planet of the Apes film, but there's nothing, there's nothing here. There's nothing, there's no other announcements about it other than uh, there was an announcement in May 2020 that Josh Friedman's going to write the screenplay. Uh, Rick Jaffa and Amanda Silver are going to come back as producers. Um, well, but I just, but I just don't know what this movie is going to look like, though. I mean, they, they said I'm, it's not going to be a sequel and it's going to be more of a follow-up. There's no other indication as to what this movie is going to look like or who's even going to be in it. I'm glad that there's nothing yet. No, <laughs> I don't. I don't know. We don't need another Planet of the Apes film. Like where? Like what are they going to do with it? You know, like this. This trilogy is perfect. It tells a story. It's about Caesar. Don't go releasing more crap. Like it, just let things end. God. It just that's like the problem with modern movies. They like take a good thing and then they're like, let's extend it. It's like, no, what can you, what can you extend upon? It told the story. The humans are done, you know, Cornelius and you know they're going to live their lives now without Caesar. Take his teachings. There's nothing else to do other than reboot the franchise. And we don't need another one. It came out when it was needed and we're good for another 30 years. Thank you very much. No Disney. No. <laughs> I am good. I, mean, I would not be opposed to maybe 
another sequel, maybe another trilogy. You know, that does it takes place further on down the line, but it's it's its own separate story, kind of that's sep- you know, removed from this main story here. I mean, unless unless they take the route like with Charlton Heston, where now the roles are reversed, I would be okay with that. You know, like where the apes, you know, twenty five years down the line, Caesar's son is just crazy bananas. You know, like he, <laughs> no pun intended, but uh, he just like you know he's a douchebag and hates humans, and then the humans have to rally to beat the apes to find some normalcy in life. That's fine by me. Um, but I mean, it's like, what else can like those pesky humans just won't stop attacking us. Like, it's like, you know, you can only, I feel like you can only play that card so many times. Oh, well, well, like we said, there's been no concrete announcements as to a title, a cast, a release date, or even a production start date. So, I mean, we'll see what happens, but I mean, but like you said, just, just let this trilogy be what it is. Let it be great. Let it stand on its own and stop making sequels where sequels aren't needed. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> and with that, we're going to rate this film. <laughs> we are going to rate the final film of the trilogy. It has been a blast with our unique scale of wouldn't watch, would watch, would own, or would host a viewing party. Chris Rupp, what would you rate War? I mean, there are a lot of great things to take away from War here. I mean... I mean, starting with the emotional depth, the emotional depth is there. It's so deep you can go swimming in it. And in spite of the word war being in the title, I think there is a lot of hope to take away from this movie. I mean, hope for the future of Caesar's community. There's, you know, hope that there could they could make this world be better and learn from the mistakes of the old world and make it make it new. And this is a welcome tonic from, you know, the popcorn fair. And there's nothing wrong with popcorn fare. I love popcorn fare. Everyone loves popcorn fare. But there's just there's something about watching a movie where you can feel great emotional character depth, and this trilogy has it in every single one of his films. And it's it's one of those rare trilogies where every film is an absolute banger and worth watching. However, and this is going to be the same criticism I levied at at Dawn is it doesn't have the same entertaining quality as the original film rise did and again still an amazing movie i'd watch this anytime it's just it's not a movie you're gonna have all your friends over to have you know a a party unless you're gonna watch all three of these movies in a row um but i would call war for the planet of the apes a wood own all right rock on rock on (laughs) what about you sean you know i'm going to say this film it was fantastic. Great story. I loved the beginning. It was very gritty. It did embellish all those movies. I did enjoy the callback to, you know, Bridge of River Kwai. That film to me is a very personal film that I, I enjoy. I love Al Guinness. So the callback to that was great. I'm going to put this as a would own as well. I think it is missing that element that the first film had where you're just like, holy crap, this is amazing. However, I, um, I think this film really hones in on Caesar and he is our main protagonist throughout the series. And it just makes you appreciate his journey and how far he came from being, you know, the little ape from the beginning. So I, I love that. I love that about this film. 
in hindsight looking back. But I think to really enjoy this film, you have to watch it in uh, sequential order with all three. It's a tough film to just like start up on by itself unless you know the backup history to it all. So that's why I would put this as a wood own, but it's, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. So much emotion. You just, the payoffs, this series was so well-directed, well-written, well-produced. Everything in this was just fantastic. Great series, great movie. I'm so happy I watched that. Sean would give this a wood own and thank you, Chris, for (laughs) enriching my life with this trilogy. You are the man. (laughs) Yeah. I'm just glad you were along for the idea of, doing this trilogy of films because like when the first movie came up i was like we now have to talk about the other ones because it's it's impossible to talk about rise without talking about dawn and war so yeah i'm I'm glad i'm glad we went on this journey and did a did a suite of episodes we haven't done one of these in a while so it felt good amen to that brother well unfortunately now it is the end of this trilogy so now we must continue onward calling major (laughs) samantha it's been a while yeah yeah, we've given Major Samantha a nice break to uh, kind of rejumble the list and uh, come back with, you know, uh, her latest command of what to watch next time, which I'm sure is going to be a bit of a letdown after watching three <laughs> great films. Um, <laughs> so, using Major Samantha and from our list of 118 films, she has selected number 38. It is a film from the year 2000 directed by Roger Christian and starring John Travolta. It is Battlefield Earth. (laughs) Oh, no. Are you scrapping me? No. Wow. You go from A plus to that? Holy crap. (laughs) Oh, my God. I can't wait. <laughs> I can't either. I've never seen it, so I'm looking forward to just absolutely ruining that movie. <laughs> oh my god! All right, dude. I'll try to go. In, I'll try to go in with a blank slate, but we've got 21 years of critical analysis behind that movie, so <laughs> it may we may be in for a rough ride. <laughs> I can't believe it. It's finally here. Well, sweet man, I'm stoked. Until next week, my man. It has been a pleasure. <laughs> Oh, likewise. And if you all enjoyed today's episode, please, please head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. That really is the best place to do it, and it really helps to drive us up the charts as well as help people like you find the show. We are across the spectrum of social media with Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at FourceFed Sci-Fi. You can check out and download episodes from Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you find podcasts, and go ahead and hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. Finally, you can check out our website, ForceFedSciFi.com, for show notes and links to all of the social media. So for all of us at the ForceFed Sci-Fi team, we will see you next time.